The reading today is from the Gospel of Luke. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you, Mount Olivet. It is such a joy to be here and an honor. Thank you. In my family, we have an often repeated joke in recognition of our poor attention. This comment is prominently displayed on a refrigerator magnet. Sorry I misunderstood you, but in my defense, I wasn't listening. And I'm sorry to Vicki, too, if we didn't listen to that reading. But in our defense, we might not want to listen to a reading that begins with, you brood of vipers. But sometime later, we heard that last line. He proclaimed the good news to the people. And we might have thought, wait, what good news? What did I miss? But I urge us, now to dig back into this text. Some in the crowd gathered around John that day might have actually remembered his birth. 
how John's father, Zechariah, had been rendered speechless by the angel for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy, they might remember asking about this eight-day-old baby, John. What will this child become? Well, here he is, this guy coming from the wilderness. Last week, Pastor Chapman called him a disruptor, and he is yelling about vipers and wrath. And they're wondering to themselves, could this be the Messiah? Through his words and his confrontational preaching, John is doing what God called him to do, preparing the way. I blame Handel's Messiah for making me think that this might be beautiful. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill made low, and the crooked paths made straight. When I listen to this, I realize filling valleys, raising mountains, and straightening roads, that kind of work requires heavy equipment. It's noisy, and it's messy, and it will overturn some things. Things like attitudes, expectations, and behaviors. And here is this messenger, John, fulfilling God's call by saying, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And I thought of the fig tree sculpture in the narthex, which now has been um, adorned with figs from Monica this morning that you might notice. We know a fruit or we know a tree by its fruits. The Good News Bible reads this verse in this way, do those things that show you have turned from your sins. Repenting, turning back from sin and toward God will disrupt our lives and our habits in the same way that a bulldozer to mountains and valleys does. Repenting is not a quick I'm sorry from a small child who does not know what to be sorry for, but really does want to be out of time out. Repenting is a specific and a real change. And John preaches that there is an ax right there prepared to cut them down to be thrown into the fire. So it's no wonder they interrupt him in his sermon to ask, what then should we do? John doesn't think about the answer. He says, Share with those in need. And that sounds simple. Maybe too simple. There's a story in 2 Kings of Naaman, a great ruler and a commander of the army who has leprosy. And he sends a whole lot of money to the king in a letter asking for a cure, likely expecting a very prominent doctor or some expensive medicine to come his way. But instead... The prophet Elisha offers the remedy. Go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you will be healed. That's good news, right? Naaman wants nothing to do with it. He wanted something a lot harder. Something grander. Maybe something Naaman could make a show of. He suggested that the Jordan River wasn't even a good enough river to cure him. For Naaman, taking the word of this lowly prophet meant setting his position, his money, and his pride aside. 
It was costly to his reputation for the great Naaman to go on the cheap like this, but when he finally relented, he was healed. And all of that to say, maybe what sounds simple might have some deep complexities. Share with those in need sounds simple, but do we do it often enough and generously enough? And are we able to keep it simple, or do we need recognition? And can we share with those in need over and over and over again without becoming resentful or selfish? Sometimes sharing with those in need is simply about how to start when we see that the need is so great. And as I watched the drone footage of the tornadoes that swept through our southern states, I thought to myself, how does one start? But John's message would certainly be, just start. The tax collectors, for good reason, a disliked and a distrusted group were the next to ask what they should do. And John says, quit cheating. And again, it sounds simple, but would it be? Maybe the whole system depended on skimming off the top. And could just a few tax collectors stand up against an entire system? What might their honesty cost them? Whistleblowers then and now are often not received well. To be worthy of repentance, the tax collectors will need courage. They will need to be ready for the fallout. And to the soldiers, John says, don't use your power to take advantage of others. Again, an action worthy of being called repentance won't be simple. The soldiers have been trained to be powerful, to be unyielding, to honor this hierarchical system. And they may face punishment or demotion if they step out of line. It's all a little unsettling, isn't it? Because we are all part of larger systems. Doing the right thing is often not obvious or easy. I buy a lot of books for my classes at seminary. I struggle with wanting to support my beloved local Buffalo Books and Coffee store and save money at larger retailers. So I try to do some of both. I remember trying to be an ethical consumer by refusing to give my business to a particular big box store that I had read did not treat their workers very well. My boycott lasted over a year, and I was so proud. Then I read that this same retailer, because of its power in the market, was able to demand more environmentally friendly packaging and shipping from its vendors. I care about the earth, too, so should I shop there or not? Or it can be a little different. Here we are, in this sanctuary or at home, keeping distant from each other. We limit our interactions, and we wear masks, and such actions are right and good and healthy and so tiring. 
and costly to our relationships and to our enjoyment and to our mental health. And that's what it means to bear fruit worthy of repentance, to change our lives so we can love our neighbors, to work together, to not become weary of doing good. Now, all of this talk about repentance sounds discouraging, perhaps even enough to slip into not listening mode. But that is just the half of it. Repentance is turning from sin. But repentance is also encountering the love, the grace, and mercy of God. We are called to repent. God enables us to do so and gives us the faith with which to do it. And when we don't repent, God is still faithful and gracious and loving full of forgiveness, already finding us before we know we are lost. Repentance is an invitation to a fuller, richer life, a place of love and freedom, integrity and agency. And we must remember that we are not always the main character. When anyone repents and turns toward God, whether we know them or not, whether we like them or not. The kingdom of God and the ways in which we experience that kingdom right here, right now, are renewed and expanded. Remember Naaman? Simple water did not seem like enough to him. He wasn't being baptized. But I can imagine him saying, how can water do such things? And you lifelong Lutherans, who might have had to answer this question at your confirmation. You might know this from Martin Luther's small catechism. Water by itself is only water. But with the word of God, it is a life-giving water, which by grace gives the new birth through the Holy Spirit. The last sentence of our gospel reading was, He proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the good news. The baptism that Christ will bring, one of the Holy Spirit and of fire, one that will enlighten and refine, will strengthen and purify. Today, we give two invitations for Christ to come into the midst of us. First, we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, with this verse reminding us how God comes in cloud and majesty and awe. Christ's coming will change some things, as light coming into darkness always does for all creation and for all nations. And so we sing our second invitation, Savior of the nations, come. Come, bring your peace and your possibilities. Come, Emmanuel, bring bring your comfort and your care. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen.